This message is brought to you by Cornerstone Gospel Church in Frankston, Australia. Thank you for coming along tonight. And um, yes, a few people here. Good. Um, I just want to uh, just clarify something. The uh, the books and things up the back there, uh, it might seem like they fund our ministry, but uh, they don't. Um, we when we actually did the sums and work out what it costs us to acquire the books, the wholesale price, the warehousing, the distribution, and all the other costs that go, we don't make anything out of them. Why do we bring them along then? Because it's reading book or sharing a video that changes people's lives. Because, you know, I can speak here tonight for an hour and I can give you a few encouraging, hopefully, facts and things. Uh, but if that's all that happens, then there's not much payoff in the long term. But if you acquire a book or a video, go away and ruminate on it, think about it, digest it, that's when it really starts to happen. So that, that's the reason we push the resources. In my own experience, I, as a young guy at university, was struggling with these issues and I heard a speaker from the United States, a biochemist speak at the University of Sydney and uh, it blew me away that he was a scientist who actually believed the Bible. I never met one of those. Not at that stage. There's plenty of them actually, but I hadn't met any at the time. And I had met plenty that don't believe the Bible and they had an influence on me, a very negative influence as a Christian. But um, I didn't know what to believe about these things. But I heard Dr. Dwayne Gish speak and uh, it blew me away. And he recommended a book. Now, back in those days, you couldn't get on the internet and Google something. Uh, this is the 1970s. Some of you weren't born then. Yes, I know. Uh, and uh, it wasn't that long ago, really. <coughs> and um, so I had to track this book down uh, and I went to this book in a uh, bookshop down in uh, St Andrew's Cathedral in Sydney in George Street or just Bathurst Street actually and, and uh, ordered the book and then you had to wait six weeks to get it and as a student it cost me a fortune like it cost in dollars much more than any of these books on the table which meant it cost like equivalent of a couple of hundred dollars to buy this book. That's what books cost in those days, you know. But I bought the book and, uh, and I read it and it just changed my life. God spoke to me through that book. And, uh, and so books, I, I really, my own experience is reading a book can change your life. Reading this book changes people's lives, doesn't it? Right? So that's what we're about. And uh, the books and the videos are to extend the message. <coughs> so I make no apology for the fact that I'll push those things uh, because that's what extends the message. Because I'm not just here tonight to teach you. I want to get this message out from here to all the people you know, people you know that I don't know. So this is an important message. In fact, I believe this message is front and centre to the cultural war that's happening in our country. And uh, you'd have to live under a rock to, to not recognise that things are, not, things are going in the wrong direction in our country. And uh, so either living under a rock or you're very young, one of the two. <coughs> so if you're very young, you haven't seen the changes. You know, like when I was a kid, um, back in the 1950s, people didn't have locks on their doors. The homes, like I remember my 
Dad was a farmer, so we didn't go on holidays very often, but we went on a holiday once and uh, said to Mum, aren't you going to lock the doors, Mum? She said, oh, we don't have any keys. <laughs> <coughs> so we went away on a holiday and we came back and you would, not, you would not expect to see anything stolen or anything like that. Nothing was out of place. But you wouldn't dream of doing that today, even if you lived in the bush. You would lock up. In fact, you'd probably have a burglar alarm with sensors and video cameras and things to track the rat bags that burglar your house. So, so why is that? Because people no longer believe God is watching. I'm not saying that in the 1950s everybody was a Christian, but just that everybody respected this book as God's word and in some sense God was watching. And there would be a comeuppance from God if you didn't behave yourself. So I'm not saying they're Christians, but they were God-fearing. And so a guy like Billy Graham could come and he could preach a very simple gospel message and get a huge response because people were God-fearing. They weren't Christians yet, but they were God-fearing. Are people God-fearing today? You see, I guess you would probably agree with me, most of you, that um, this verse in the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and possibly all of us would believe that and agree with that. But is that what everybody believes today? What do they believe instead? They don't just believe nothing. Hmm? Nothing Nothing became the Big Bang. Nothing became everything. That's the sort of thing, isn't it? Nothing exploded and became everything through the Big Bang. That's the scientific view of how we all got here. must be right. It's science, you see. And professors tell us that. They must be right. They wouldn't be a professor otherwise etc. That's the way people think. And so this guy here was head of UNESCO for many years and he said this, he said, in the evolutionary pattern of thought there's no longer either need or room for the supernatural, the earth was not created, it evolved, so do all the animals and plants that inhabited, including our human cells, mind and soul, as well as brain and body, so did religion. So we invented God, God didn't invent us. This is the view that permeates our education system today. In fact, it's everywhere, you can't avoid it. Even if you haven't been educated, you've been indoctrinated in this view because everywhere you go, this is all you hear. For example, I keep pressing the wrong button on this. <laughs> the uh, the sco- schools, uh, it's in the curriculum. Everybody gets taught evolution and it's not just in science class, it's in geography, it's in ancient history, it's everywhere. And what about the universities? Surely they'd talk about God creating things, wouldn't they? What am I doing here? Sorry about this. I've left my my clicker at home and I'm trying to use a mouse, which is obviously I'm not very adept at it. So try again. So um, national document nature documentaries. David Attenborough, he'd talk about God creating things, wouldn't he? No. No. What about national parks? The national parks interpretive signs, you know. Look at this, it says, look at this wonderful creation of God, isn't it? Is that what it say? But our newspapers, they talk about God creating things, wouldn't they? At least in the religion column. Is there a religion column anymore? Mostly not, is there? So, what about women's magazines? They talk about... (laughs) What do they say? They say, you know why your husband's unfaithful? Because of his ape ancestry. (laughs) Isn't that what they say? Ah, museums. Surely museums would be a good place for you to... Uh, Melbourne Museum? 
Not even the aquarium, no. So that's the, de that's the deal. I'm going to give up on that mouse. So what's the consequence of that? If people are indoctrinated in evolution at every step, everywhere we look, and they hear nothing about anything else, they're going to believe that evolution must be true. And that's what they believe. And what is evolution but how everything came to be without God? God's out of the picture. In other words, you're an atheist. And the growth in atheism in Australia since the 1960s when evolution started to be taught in the schools to everybody has been remarkable. This guy here at Cornell University, Richard, uh, William Provine, he was an atheist <coughs> and uh, he's no longer an atheist because he died. <coughs> Think about that. And somebody got it. But he said this, he said... Evolution is the greatest engine of atheism ever invented. So what's happening? People are seeing, following the logical consequences of the belief in evolution. And uh, if you want to see the consequences of a society for evolution, look at North Korea, look at Albania, look at any of the communist states of the last century that killed 160 million people. Look at Hitler. He wasn't an atheist, but he was an evolutionist through and through, and certainly anti-Christian, thoroughly anti-Christian. And uh, so this is this is having a fallout effect on uh, young people, particularly. I know a survey just the other day, just recently published from the University of New South Wales, first-year science students were asked their views about things, and 60% of them said that they believed that God had nothing to do with their creation. The number of atheists amongst young people is actually much higher than the general population. <coughs> Our US sister ministry uh, conducted a uh, survey of students at Kennesaw University in Atlanta. Atlanta's the Bible Belt. It's a bit like Australia was in the 1950s where 80% of children went to Sunday school in Australia in the 1950s. You remember, believe that? Can you believe that, that 80% of kids actually went to Sunday school in the 1950s? <clears throat> so it's not hard to find students at the university who have been connected with the church. And so finding those students and asking a question, have you, uh, are you still involved with your church, yes or no? So there's the ones that say yes, they're still involved with their church, uh, and there's ones that say no. Well, when the ones that said no, why not? Every one of them said it was something to do with the teaching revolution. Some of the age of the earth or eight men or whatever is different things, you know. Uh, so, and then the other, the other group that's still involved with their church were asked, did your church, well both groups were asked, did your church have any programs teaching you about creation, evolution, you know, the evidence, how to think about these things? And, um, and are those still involved with their church? Only one said their church didn't have any programs and they got their information from elsewhere. So in this day and age, you can Google things and find out things. Hopefully they haven't banned our website yet. So you can find out stuff. But, um, but many churches have nothing. And consequently, the young people like fed to the wolves when they go to university. They haven't really been taught how to think about these things and uh, given the, the wonderful information that's available today. You know, when I was struggling with these things, there was one book available that really dealt with it properly. 
And, uh, but that, today there's a wealth of material and, of course, the websites and things as well. So this, uh, this is a statement by a young lady who's leading a youth group at a church in Melbourne. She said this, she said, I used to beat my head against the wall wondering why we lost all our young people about age 16. In the last few years, I've realised that age 16 or year 10 is when they teach evolution in depth in science. I've also discovered that some of the teachers actually identify the Christian students make a special point of explaining the differences and difficulties in reconciling Genesis and the facts of evolution. It's no wonder we lost them. I come near to tears just thinking about it. And that's a pattern that's repeated in churches across the nation. Even the young people are brought up in the church and in Christian homes, they get to about year 10, year 11, and they just lose interest. And the reason I believe they lose interest is they can see the inconsistencies. If evolution is true and Christians believe a lot of nonsense. Think about, for example, the old, uh, the millions of years idea, the hundreds of millions of years, the billions of years. The billions of years are in the, in the rock layers under our feet, supposedly. This is a claim. And in those rock layers are dead things, fossils, which are the remains of once living things, which are now dead. And in fact, those fossils are a record of pain and death and killing and disease and thorns and struggle for survival, suffering and extinction over hundreds of millions of years. And then when you read your Bible in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, God said everything was very good when he finished creating things. So what about the view that I tried to have that, well, God just used evolution, you see. You just say, you know, just, just add God to the mix and everything's all right. Does that work? Not if you think about it, because I didn't think about it. I tried not to think about it because I didn't have any answers. But, um, <clears throat> see, the Garden of Eden is paradise and everything's very good. There's no death, no suffering, no disease. This is the view that everybody's understood for, for 2,000 years till very recently. But every scheme that wants to marry the Bible with millions of years of evolutionary time, with or without evolution, what you have to do is you have to put all those fossils somewhere before Adam and Eve. You have to put them under their feet, in fact. In fact, you've got to put them there under the garden. A record of death, suffering and disease over hundreds of millions of years before the people came on the scene. And so, whichever way you slice and dice this, I mean, you've probably heard a lot of the ideas that people have, you know, that idea of the gap theory, you know, between the first couple of verses of Genesis is a gap, you see. And that's, you can shove all the millions of years into the gap and then let's just talk about Jesus. You know, let's just talk about the gap. Does it work? No, it doesn't work because it puts all this death and suffering under the feet of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. If you put millions of years in that gap, you put the fossils and the dead things in the gap as well. What about the day-age idea? This is the one I gravitated to, you know, with the Lord of days like a thousand years. You know that idea? So we make the, not just in a thousand, you've got to make them into a billion years each. We get sort of, well that gives you six billion years. They're talking about 14 billion years for the universe. We've got to double that again to get something like, well, you know, where do you go with that? It says the evening and morning, day one, evening and morning, second day, evening and morning, third. They're just ordinary days. Like a, it's a basis of our week. Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, God spoke and said he created everything in six days, so work and rest on the seventh. So that's why we work for six and rest for one. That's why we get a seven-day week. In fact, God did it in a week. Why do you take so long? Pattern for our week. <laughs> Could have done it in a flash if you wanted to. You know, one of the things that happened to me when I got my head around this a bit was to realise how much bigger God is than I imagined. 
because I had a God in a box of my own understanding, limited. How could God do all that in a week? How small is my God? How big is your God? God's bigger. And so then we find that that the actual real history in Genesis is actually the reason for the gospel because where death and suffering come from, it came because of the rebellion of mankind, Adam and Eve. Adam rebelled against God and brought death and suffering into the world. From dust you came and to dust you return. What's it talking about? Physical death came because of sin. And so why did Jesus die of physical death on the cross and rise from the dead? Because of what happened with Adam. And we're all descendants of Adam and we all sin and confirm what he did as well by our own actions. We deserve to die, but in Adam we all die. So for as in Adam we all die, so in Christ all we're made alive. So Adam is a federal head of the human race. Jesus Christ is a federal head of a new human race. Those who are in him will be made alive. How are we in Adam? We're all, put up your hand if you're human. Wow, just about everybody, that's good. We're all in Adam. But how are we in Christ? We're born automatically into Adam. We're all descendants of Adam and Eve. But how are we in Christ? We're born into Christ, it's the forever family of God through, being, through the Holy Spirit. We're born again. When we repent, turn away from our sins, acknowledge our sin and our need of forgiveness and we're forgiven through what he's done for us. He paid the price on the cross. He took upon himself and his body on the cross the penalty for sin, which is death. That we don't, do, not, do not need to suffer death for our sin. It all comes back to Genesis. If what happened in Genesis didn't really happen, then Jesus didn't need to die on the cross. See, so this is front and centre to everything. It's not some sort of side issue. It's not some sort of secondary issue. You know, sadly we get some church leaders and these days, oh, look, that's just controversial. You know, it's, it upsets people and, you know, it's, it's really a secondary issue. We just talk about Jesus and, and stuff. You know, so, well, you know, if this didn't happen, there's no need for Jesus. So we, uh, that's why the last 24 years I've been involved full-time with this ministry because it's just so important. Um, it's important in my own life and I've seen it important, so important in the lives of so many others and we have a proverbial filing case full of testimonies of people that come to faith in Christ through this message. But, mu but all, a lot more than that, we get people on fire for Jesus because of this message and also equipped for evangelism and active in evangelism and it's exciting. It really is exciting to see the effects of this ministry on so many people. And so we produce Creation Magazine and tonight I think you've been given a Creation Magazine, one per family, one per household. If you're a household of one, you've got a bonus. <laughs> if you're a household of eight, you've got, well, you've got to share it between eight people but I'm sure you managed to do that. But uh, we have a, uh, supporters who believe in what we do have made this possible to give a magazine to all the people at present that we, that we minister to. So that's yours to take, no obligation. But there is a, a free pen as well, which I see somebody using there. And uh, that, there's a purpose for that, which I'll explain later. But the Creation Magazine's been going for 40 years. Anybody not get a magazine, by the way, that as you came in, someone not get one? Um, everybody? Okay, good. So... Uh, We'll talk about that more later, but that's been going for 40 years, Creation Magazine, and uh, obviously I've been involved 24 years, so it was going for 16 years before I was involved. 
and my family actually had Creation magazine as we were, they were growing up and it had a very positive influence on them. Uh, by the way, I've got a, a daughter who's a physiotherapist and she's just, just got her PhD. Well, she hasn't passed it yet, but she's had it submitted. Got a son who's a veterinary surgeon and another son who's a PhD engineer. So we've had a few years at university between us. Um, a little bit about it. Uh, and all three are walking with the Lord, praise God. And I believe that things like having Creation Magazine in the home have been a factor in them growing up confident that what we believe as Christians is really true. It's not just stories, but it's actually true truth. So a lot of people today just think the Bible's like Aesop's fables. It's just a bunch of stories about theology, about God, but you know, God doesn't really exist or he might exist in your mind, but that sort of stuff, you know. But it's so important that our young people understand that this talks about real events. It's not just stories. <clears throat> and that's what, that's what we're on about here. So we also have our website and uh, it's uh, over 10,000 articles there. There's over 700 videos. It's all freely available. And it's all very difficult to remember the name of the website, creation.com. Which reminds me I didn't silence my phone either. <coughs> Hopefully my phone doesn't go off either. <coughs> I've got a timer going here and I don't want it anyway. So creation.com, you think you remember that? <laughs> Perhaps we should repeat it. One, two, three. Creation.com. And once more. Creation.com. Okay, you've got it burnt into your mind now. So anyone, anything. Actually, if you just Google creation, it should come up in the first few hits on Google. And because uh, six days out of seven there's new material on the website, we put out an email news about once a week to give people a heads up about some of the material on the website. Just the other day there was an article. I don't know, anybody see Body and Soul? It comes out on the, on the Sunday papers. Okay. It, it is syndicated. It might be called something else down here, but they have a thing about health and stuff, you know. And, hmm? Body and soul, it's called. Well, about a month ago, they had an article about how badly designed our human body was. Wow. <coughs> and I wrote to the editor. I said, this is a lot of rubbish. I didn't put it quite so bluntly, but that's what I said in effect. And I spelled out why the article was wrong. Uh, I didn't get a reply from the editor. But one of my colleagues mentioned, this was mentioned by somebody else, says, oh, I wrote to the editor about that and showed him the thing. I said, you should publish that and you know, put it on the website. So it's on the website. Anyway, it generated quite a lot of interest. So, um, uh, but if you're busy, of course, you don't see the article and then you think, well, there's an opportunity lost because you could have talked to your friends about this because they were talking about it or they mentioned it to you. And uh, So our Infobytes keeps people heads up about stuff that's been on the, on the website that's been particularly of interest to people. Um, but also events like this, uh, we talk, we talk, tell you about that as well. So there's a little uh, did you know form there, this little... Uh, slip of paper. Uh, there's about six of those and they're different little nerdy things in the back but, um, but the purpose of that is you can fill it in to get infobytes. So it looks like this. Uh, you I don't suppose any Bob Noogle bombs here. But, um, and we've put the postcode so we can tell you about things in your area such as tonight. So anybody get infobytes about tonight? A couple of people, okay. Yeah, see, that's how it works. 
So if you don't already get Infobytes, um, you can fill in this. When you get your first email from us, first Infobytes, you'll get a, a link, you can get a free download of a video, which uh, is normally $6.50, but uh, that's free for your first introduction and also you get introduced to Creation 101 series which leads you through a few uh, of the basics about the whole thing. So anyway, you can fill those in now with the pen, with the free pen, <laughs> um, and we'll collect them because so we don't leave them lying around the place and your email get into the wrong hands or anything like that. Uh, so you can fill them out now and we'll just collect them in a few minutes. And there's a... As we mentioned, there's a lot of other resources up the back there on the tables, and we mentioned a couple of those later, but you can have a look at those too. There's, there's in-depth stuff, and there's also children's material and everything in between. I want to say, one of the things that really helped me in getting to grips with all this is to realise that when we talk about science, we're normally talking about what we call operational science or experimental science, which involves doing experiments in the present. They're observable, repeatable experiments in the present. And this has given us incredible benefits how to cure disease, technology, all sorts of incredible stuff through operational science, how the world operates. Now, there's nothing in operational science which contradicts the Bible and there's nothing in operational science which I have a problem with. But there's another type of science called historical science where people imagine what happened in the past based on evidence we have in the present, like a fossil and imagines this was perhaps to grow legs and become our ancestor, walked out in the land, etc., this sort of stuff. Now, this is not the same sort of science. It's not based on observable, repeatable experiments. In fact, it's not observable and not repeatable and no experiments are possible on the past. Anybody got a time machine? So when someone hops up and says, millions of years ago this happened or that happened, they're talking through the hat. They don't know. Nobody saw that. They don't know. And so just to summarise, science, operational science studies are repeatable. History studies the unrepeatable. This is history we're talking about. And the only way you can know what happened in the past is to have an observer, somebody who recorded what happened. Do you know what we've got here? We've got an observation, an observer, an eyewitness account from God himself in fact, who else would know what happened in the six days before Adam was born, uh, created? Only God himself. So it's inspired by God uh, to, know, to let us know what happened. So you think about the, the six days of creation and you think about day six of creation week when Adam and Eve were created. Uh, what else was created on day six of creation week according to the Bible? Land animals. Would dinosaurs be land animals? Yeah. So that means dinosaurs were created on day six of creation week along with mankind and it was evening and morning the sixth day. So dinosaurs and people were created together. Let that sink in. Yeah, okay. So Fred Flintstone cartoons were correct. <laughs> right? They had a pet dinosaur called Dino. Dino. That was imaginative, wasn't it? <clears throat> so that, in other words, is there any evidence that dinosaurs and people lived together? Indeed so. This is a cylinder seal found in the Middle East predating Jesus and when it was rolled into wax it produced a pattern like this. <clears throat> what is that creature, do you think? A what? An elephant? An elephant? You needed a trip to the zoo. 
Look at the length of the tail. Look at the length of the neck. A giraffe? Well, he must have been drunk if it was a giraffe. The, the artist, I mean, not the giraffe. <coughs> long, look at the long tail. So not a giraffe, not an elephant. Look at the long neck, not an elephant. Not a, the long neck's like a giraffe, you're right. Hmm? Well, a plesiosaur is a marine reptile with flippers and things, so that doesn't really fit. But I tell you what, put you out of your misery. Hey? Patasaurus, similar, a sauropod dinosaur, that's true, that's the sauropods or the Diplodocus and Caesonosaurus and Patasaurus and, well, Brontosaurus has been resurrected, I used to say it was, anyway. They're all sauropod dinosaurs. This is another type of sauropod dinosaur and it's so specifically drawn that we can probably identify which one it was and it's called Tanistrophius. <coughs> and there's... Uh, an image of Tenostrophius from JurassicParkWiki.com. So it's not, I didn't get our artist to draw it. It's just from straight from the website there. So something like Tenostrophius. You've all heard of Tenostrophius, haven't you? No. <coughs> no, you haven't. So, and in fact, there's there's heaps and heaps of evidence of this sort of stuff. And I'll just show you a book. This book is, this guy is coming to our super conference up in October in uh, a couple of weeks' time up in Caloundra. Uh, he's the author of this book, Die Dragons. And it's just full of pictures of artwork that show that people and dinosaurs have lived together recently. And so, um, Die Dragons, have a look at it. It's, um, I think it's $39 for the book, but you don't have to buy the book, just have a look at it. Very impressive. Anyway, so where did dragons... Well, before 1841, if people saw a dinosaur, they wouldn't have called it a dinosaur. You know why? Because the word hadn't been invented before 1841. What would they have called them? That's right. I gave you a clue, didn't I? Because the word, the title of the book, Die Dragons. Or well, Big Lizard. Do you know the word in dinosaur... Uh, sorry, the word in Chinese for dinosaur is Kong Long, which means terrifying dragon. Yeah, terrifying dragon. So, where did dinosaurs come from? According to evolution, uh, they came from a worm like us. Um, according to the Bible, God created them along with mankind on day six of creation week, along with other land animals and things, different kinds of dinosaurs, probably about 40 different kinds of dinosaurs from what we know today from the fossils. But here it is. Uh, this is a new scientist, which is uh, reflecting the mainstream scientific view supposedly, once we were worms. Worms changed into people and elephants and dragons and mice and birds and fish and everything with a backbone came from worms. Hmm? Can't they worm their ways into school? <laughs> <laughs> so not that you have worms but you were a worm. <clears throat> Hundreds of millions of years ago we were worms. Worms changed into all these different types of creatures including finches. And what's the evidence for uh, that happening? Well, the sort of evidence presented is this sort of thing where in the school and university textbooks, the story of Darwin's work with the Galapagos finches and biologists uh, like the Grants have done a lot more work since. And um, the story goes like this, that probably some finches were blown onto the Galapagos Islands from South America in a storm 
and those finches bred up on the Galapagos Islands and diversified into all sorts of different species which are adapted to different sorts of food. And so you've got beaks, beak up here, fine beak up there, good for probing into flowers and getting insects, and big fat beak over here which is good for cracking hard seeds. You can see that as the food availability varies from season to season, that different finches are going to do better or worse. During the wet season, lots of flowers, lots of insects. The fine beak ones are going to do well, but in a drought, when there aren't many flowers, not many insects, these are going to die down a number, but the fat beaks over here, the strong beaks that can break open the hard seeds left around from the good seasons, they're going to do better. And so the numbers of finches go up and down depending on the availability of food. Natural selection's operating here, adaptation's operating here, speciation's operating here, I don't have, don't have a problem with the story at all. Except the extrapolation, that this proves that worms change into finches. How does that demonstrate that? It doesn't. In fact, variety in beaks does not even explain the origin of beaks. I can see some different sized beaks here tonight. <laughs> but you're not evolving into something else. Ah, but they say the fossils show evolution. But they don't. <clears throat> Back to our dinosaurs. This is a diagram from Science Journal, the world's number two science journal. And uh, Dr Paul Serino, the author, was asked by the uh, editors to write a review about the evolution of dinosaurs. This is the main diagram from this article. Here we have the common ancestor of all the dinosaurs here. And up the top, you see the silhouettes of the different sorts of dinosaurs. And you've got Stegosaurus over there, you've got T-Rex up here, you've got in the middle, you've got the sauropods and things. So there's the different kinds of dinosaurs. <coughs> and the dark black bars going down through the page represent the fossil evidence for the different sorts of dinosaurs as they're found in the rocks. Do you get the picture? Notice something. This is the evolution of dinosaurs. The dark black bars are the fossil evidence. Open bars and dashed lines are not based on fossil evidence. The only fossil evidence is the dark black bars. So let's colour in what is based on imagination in red and blue. See that? And uh, just go back to make sure I'm not misleading you. So I'm just colouring in the imagination in red and blue. Then we erase the imagination. What happens? Oh, what happened to the evolution? Evolution's in the imagination, not in the fossils. Clear as a bell. Ah, but there's not enough fossils to show evolution. You see, there's fossils are scarce. Oh, sorry, but there's thousands of fossils of the different sorts of dinosaurs. There should be thousands of fossils showing their ancestors and showing the evolution. They're not there because it never happened. It never happened. The fossils don't show evolution. And that's across the board, not just dinosaurs. Wherever you look, it's the same. So there you go. The Imagination, this is the dark black bars of the fossils, colour in the imagination, you raise the imagination, the evolution disappears. They're all separate, hmm? They're all separate individuals. 
They're all separate. They're not joined up. There's no fossil showing that this evolved into that or that what their ancestors were or anything like that. That's right. And where the bars are located is the geologic layers. That yes, that's that's re going down through the rock layers. Right. Right. So this is the way they piece together. Down through, that's in their idea. Down through ages, that's right. So, so they got here, for example, Triassic, uh, 235 million years, and you got Cretaceous, not, uh, 65 through to uh, 145 million. This is millions of years are imaginary as well. So, but, but that I'm just looking at the actual fossils and the supposed evolution at this stage. But, uh, but this is a sequence of burial during Noah's flood. We'll get to that in a few minutes. But let's just think about the uh, the, the issue of um, uh, you know if one kind of thing could change in something else. You know, we today with molecular biology, real science, operational science, what we know about living things shows that one thing can't change into another. You can't change an ape into a human by just tweaking a few things or anything like that, just by a few accidental changes. So they say that mutations created all the information living in living things. Uh, start off with some simple bacteria and then accidental changes in the information that's DNA eventually changes into a microbiologist. That's the idea. They're called mutations, accidental changes, errors in copying the information from one generation to the next. Now you would expect that errors, see our DNA contains incredible algorithms, specifications, programs, stuff like that to actually say how our bodies are to operate. Uh, when we're put together in our mother's womb, all the, all the instructions that say take one cell and make it into hundreds of different cells all in the right place to give us all the different functions, our eyes in the right spot, it wouldn't be any good having an eye on your backside would it? and eyes develop in the right spot and everything and they're the right fashion and they connect up with the brain and it's just amazing, all this programming. So just accidental changes to the program, do you think it would actually add functions to it or would it mess it up? Isn't that what cancer is? Hmm? Like cancer, cancer is the right... Cancer is due to... That's exactly right. That's right. Mutations cause cancer. And they cause all sorts of sicknesses like these here, sickle cell anemia, haemophilia. There's actually a website with tens of thousands of diseases caused by mutations. What about the website that records all the tens of thousands of mutations that actually make and gets into Superman? <laughs> There's no such website. It doesn't happen. In fact, they talk about there being beneficial mutations. Well, there are some beneficial mutations, but are they actually adding some feature? No, they're actually modifying some existing feature. For example, sickle cell anemia is called a beneficial mutation in the schools. You say, hang on a minute, anemia is a disease. How can that be beneficial? Well, if you have this disease, you live in Africa where there's malaria, uh, you'll be resistant to malaria because you've got misshapen blood cells because of this disease, you don't get malaria. Would you like this disease so you don't get malaria? <laughs> in fact, if you try and run a marathon with sickle cell anemia, you drop dead because you can't get enough oxygen in your body. Good idea, isn't it? You see, they're hard-pressed to find even beneficial mutations, let alone a mutation which adds some feature which they have to get to make evolution believable. It just doesn't add up. 
Mutations break things, they don't make things. And examples of antibiotic resistance are due to mutations breaking things. Or they can borrow the information of another bacterium that has it. That's not actually explaining the origin of the information. You see, so there's no mechanism. And the stuff being discovered inside living things through real science, operational science, is just mind-boggling. Right now inside you and me is a motor spinning around at great speed generating a chemical that's necessary for life. And the chemical is abbreviated ATP. And this is an animation of the motor uh, and it spins around, uses an electric current inside our cells and there's thousands of these in every cell, or most cells, and uh, the electric current of protons causes the motor to spin and it takes the electrical energy and transfers it into chemical energy. It takes a ADP, adds a phosphate to it to make an ATP and that's an energy charging process. So this is a high energy compound which is then used to help you to move muscles or to manufacture proteins and do all sorts of things in your cells. In fact, Using these motors, our bodies make our body weight in ATP every day. You can't blame this for getting fat because you use it all, okay? You just make it and use it. But this motor is involved in making this. So each of the coloured parts are different proteins and to make the proteins you need ATP that's made by the motor which is made by protein. You get the problem? You get the picture? It's, it's all got to work together right from the start. There's no evolutionary process that can explain these sorts of things. This was in Creation magazine. Just summarising this, real science, operational science, says that evolution of microbes to man is an impossible process, as is the origin of any microbe to start with. Why do people believe it? Why do they want to believe it? Well, it's like this billboard in Colorado Praise Darwin, evolved beyond belief, put up by the Freedom from Religion Foundation. That's the atheists stumping up money to put up a billboard to encourage people to believe in Darwin on evolution rather than God. They recognise that the secular agenda requires people to believe in evolution. Secularism is atheism. Richard Dawkins you've heard of. He said this, Darwin made it possible to be an intellectually fulfilled atheist. That's why the atheists are at the forefront of indoctrinating our kids in evolution to make more atheists. They think there's safety in numbers, I believe. So how do we explain the rocks and the fossils under our feet after Adam and Eve, not before? The Bible actually does explain it. It provides an explanation and it's Noah's flood. The flood is a key to understanding the history. Think about Noah's flood, Noah's ark, and the size of the boat, 143 metres long, 23 metres wide, and 14 metres high, and see the people for scale. Could put them on the other end of the boat and it'd be even more graphic, wouldn't it? What about, what about my idea when I was trying to believe in evolution of millions of years, and I adopted the idea that Noah built this boat to escape a local flood. Didn't think about that much, did I? Why would he need to build a boat to escape a local flood? You could emigrate. How far can you walk in six months? Just walking for a few hours every day. Far enough to get out of any local flood. 
You don't need to build a boat to escape a local flood. Why were there birds in the boat? If it was a local flood, they could fly to another country in a few days. How long were they on the boat? Anybody know how long they were on the boat before they got off? 12 months approximately, that's right. 371 days. Hmm, long time to be floating around for a local flood, isn't it? Maybe they were in, a, in a, an eddy in the middle or something or other, you know. It just makes nonsense of the whole thing, doesn't it? I mean, and that's what happens. You know, today, you go to our theological colleges, most of them, sadly, and they'll say, oh, well, the flood probably never happened. It's just a story. Just a story. Because they've just accepted the, 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 the nonsense from the universities that, well, where's the evidence for the flood? Well, there's heaps of evidence for the flood. Masses of evidence for the flood. It's not, not that there's no evidence. It's just they don't look for it. Oh, sorry, you're stretching. I thought you were asking a question. It's all right. <clears throat> you know, fossils. How, how do fossils form? Um, do, do fossils form today? Do you see fossils forming today? No, you don't. Yeah, why not? Because you need lots of mud to form fossils. You don't get enough mud. Nothing on Earth today, except for perhaps a landslide, localised landslide might do it, where you get a, you know, tons and tons of stuff covered. But... But you don't get, from a normal flood, you don't get enough sediment, enough mud to actually bury anything to make a fossil. You need something like Noah's flood to actually create the fossils that we find around the world. This is in Dinosaur National Monument in the United States. You find just thousands and thousands of dinosaurs buried with sea creatures. How'd that happen? Stacks of mud. Where'd the mud come from? Here's a horse buried with a fish. How much mud do you need to bury a horse? A lot. In fact, there have been experiments done recently with crocodiles and uh, the little crocodiles about this long and when they bury them in certain amount of sediment and stuff, um, you know, a foot or so, this much, not enough. The, the little, little crocodiles started to bloat and they just broke out of the sediment and floated away. See, because they, that's what happens. Um... So you need lots of mud. So you think about Noah's flood. It says all, all the high mountains under the whole heavens are covered with water. The whole earth is covered with water. You can actually calculate, because of the, the tidal movement of the water, because of the moon's effect of pulling the water around everything, uh, and in fact the continents are not there to stop the movement of the water, you end up with currents of water up to 200 kilometres an hour. Yeah, 200 kilometres an hour. So what would happen if you have currents of water 200 kilometres an hour? It changes rock into mud in quick fashion. And just like today in the atmosphere, you have high winds down here and a bit further south, and you go up to Singapore, there's almost no wind. Similar thing with the ocean currents. You get high currents, especially with it's covering the whole earth, high currents at high latitudes and then low currents. So you get the mud made here, deposited here. Get the picture? And so you get this massive reshaping of the earth. You cannot have a global flood that doesn't do anything. That's impossible. And it does enormous work. This is Grand Canyon. It's a monument to the flood. The layers here, layer after layer after layer laid down evidence within them, they'll lay down very quickly. <clears throat> this is the Coconino sandstone, the whitish layer near the top there, covers over 500,000 square kilometres in the United States. It's 100 metres thick on average. 
500,000 square kilometres, 100 metres thick on average. There are sand dune structures within it. You can see that the sand dunes were moving underwater, so very deep, fast-flowing water deposited this layer in a matter of days. And layer after layer speaks of rapid catastrophic processes. You know, you can trace these layers eastwards from this spot to a place called the Kaibab Upwarp, where all the layers are bent radically. You see the people there for scale? See, it goes from horizontal to vertical on just a few metres. How do you bend hard rock? You can't. The rock has to be soft when this bending occurred. Now, here's the problem for the millions of years story, <coughs> and it fits with Noah's flood. They say the evolutionary story is that the bottom layer was laid down 550 million years ago, then the top layer was laid down 250 million years ago, and the bending didn't occur till 70 million years ago, 180 million years after the last stuff was laid down. Hmm. 480 million years, this stuff remained soft <laughs> before it was bent. I mean, a lot of places on Earth today, you'd be hard-pressed to find anything soft, hard to walk on. If that was the case, this stuff can stay soft for that long? No, it doesn't add up. In fact, this observation alone blows away 480 million years of evolutionary time. You know, that stuff was all laid down in Noah's flood in a matter of a year. Less than a year, in fact, as the water, flood waters rose, the material was laid down. Then there was no geologic ages. Think about the canyon and the erosion of the canyon. Did the Colorado River carve that huge canyon? No. The canyon was carved by the water coming off that land at the end of the flood. If you can see a little bit of a glimpse of what could have what happened at Mount St Helens volcano, this is uh, erupted in 1980, and in March 19, 1982, about two years after the initial eruption, a mud flow flowed down the hill and carved out this canyon in less than a day. Now, today, geography lessons children are taught in school and, and uh, students at university and stuff about underfit rivers. So you've got this big valley and you've got this tiny little creek here and they imagine that this creek carved the valley. Of course, it would that take millions of years, wouldn't it? Because that's where the millions of years idea comes from, that sort, of, that sort of thinking. But you see, if it wasn't carved by the creek, but it was carved by a pro different process, you eliminate the time. And you explain why there's a tiny creek in a big valley. So you think about the water coming off the land at the end of the flood. Initially, it's coming off in sheets. Sheet movement of the water. Undulating, but sheet movement. It would erode the material that's been deposited. It's quite a bit of it. In fact, in places on the earth, you can see up to six kilometres of material has been taken away and has been deposited in the oceans. How that happened? It happened with this sheet flow, we believe, at the end of the flood as the water was coming off. And so you get the plateaus formed, like Grand Canyon Plateau, like the Blue Mountains Plateau. There's plateaus all around the world that actually came about by that process. And what about the valleys, like the Megalong Valley and so on, and Blue Mountains? As the water has to channel as it's coming down, initially it has wide channel movement and it takes out these valleys in the process. 
the evidence of the flood is everywhere, all around the world. And you just have to open your eyes to see it. Once you see this, it just transforms all this travel and everything you do. Everywhere you go, you see it. It's everywhere. But people don't want to believe it because if the Bible's right about the flood, why was there a flood? God's judgment. God's judgment on him and sin. It's a reminder of God's judgment. You know what Jesus said in Luke 17? The flood came and destroyed them all. He said, it's going to be like that in the future and people are going to be going out of their business if nothing's going to happen and God's going to come and it's going to be judgment again. People don't want to know about the flood because it talks about God's judgment. But it also talks about, this book is real, it talks about real events. If talk about real events in the past, it's going to talk about real events in the future as well. There's going to be a judgment to come in the future. You see, if as a creator, God gave law, we break God's law, that's sin. We're going to be judged for our sin. That's why we need a saviour. But if there's no creator, what about the rest of it? Is that what we see happening today? Lawlessness. Because they've jettisoned God, they've jettisoned his law, and that's what we're seeing happening. This guy here is an evangelist. He says, I'm an evangelist. I go around and talk with people, one-on-one conversations. In my time talking to high schoolers, the number one answer I get for not being a God so then I don't have to believe is evolution. This is the number one excuse for unbelief today is evolution. Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came they have life, may have life and have it abundantly. So who's the thief? Satan. Now over the years, over the centuries, Satan has used all sorts of tricks to steal and kill and destroy. But in this time that we live in today, this evolutionary lie is front and centre to his, to his tactics, I believe. He says, and he's using this to steal and kill and destroy. And of course, people out there that aren't Christians, they think that we're just a bunch of killjoys in the church and, uh, and really to have a good life, a good, uh, you've really got to get, forget about all that religious stuff and uh, you can have a good time. But the Bible tells us, Jesus said, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. He says, my burden is light. Didn't he say that? Because he carries the burden. He carries our burdens for us and so his burden is light. And so uh, he has come that we might have life and have it abundantly. So the challenge tonight to us Christians is to be prepared with some answers for our friends and our relatives who don't know this. Have answers about their objections which we've been talking about, their evolutionary misinformation First uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 15, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asked you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Apostle Peter. Be prepared with an answer. So our ministry is about giving people the answers that they need in our day and age. In fact, our ministry has a vision and the vision is to see the Lord Jesus Christ honoured as creator and saviour of the world. Is that a good vision? Amen? Would you like to help achieve that vision? Well, you can help. And I'm sure a number of you are already helping and God bless you for that. 
Creation Magazine. Anybody can share a magazine with anybody. And this is something you can do, everybody can do. So it comes out four times a year. Who gets Creation Magazine? A number of people already get it? Okay, God bless you. I hope you share it. You know, I sort of meet people, they love their Creation Magazine, they stack them up and they've got them all up on the shelf and they say, look, you know, the, all the articles go on the website after 12 months or so. You can look up the article on the website later on if you want to. Just give the magazines away while they're nice and fresh and uh, share them with people because we get some incredible feedback. This guy here says, you, you guys make evangelism easy. I just give Creation Magazine somebody and then the next time I see them we talk about it. It'll open up people to conversations about the gospel. You know, give them the magazine and then a couple of weeks later ring them up and say, hey, how about we have a coffee and talk about that magazine? Follow up on it. And uh, you'll be amazed at the conversations <coughs> that develop from that. It's one here. I was uh, from Gympie. I was converted when someone gave me a creation magazine, then I subscribed for five of my relatives. Four of them have now come to the Lord. I can't promise you an 80% hit rate, but, but you know, I can, there's lots of stories like that. You know, there really are. So the creation magazine, you've got the one to take with you for free. That's fine. Add it to your collection for those who uh, already get it. Uh, but when you subscribe to creation magazine, you also get a digital magazine. This is something we do these days. And so you get an email and on the, in the link in the email and then you click on the link and you can open it and read it on a tablet or a phone, even a, even a smartphone, uh, computer. Uh, but you can share it with up to five different devices. So you can actually send the email to somebody else and they can open it for free. So have a look at the magazine and think, hey, there's an article there. I know somebody would be really interested in that. Send it to them. Don't send them just the article. Send them the whole magazine and they'll read the whole magazine and start a conversation again, get them talking about it, get them thinking about the things of the Lord. So here's the thing. For tonight, special tonight, for one year subscription, uh, when you pay for it tonight, uh, you get this DVD uh, by Dr. David Catchpool on creation evangelism, how to use this material in evangelism. For a three-year subscription... Uh, you can get that one plus you can choose between this one by Dr. Taz Walker on rapid rocks about how the rapid formation of rocks and fossils around the world speaks of Noah's flood or Biblical Biology 101 which is, goes into more about mutations, natural selection and the variation within a kind and things that we touched upon tonight. We didn't go into a lot of detail. So in your free magazine there's a form there that uh, sticks out the top. There's a little red bar across the top. If you pull it out it looks like this. And by the way, you can extend your subscription tonight and get the same deal. So if you already get the magazine, you can extend your subscription. So you can fill in your details there. Uh, and I sort of ticked a three-year box because I'd like you to get a three-year magazine because uh, that helps everybody. Um, but I would like to renew my current subscription. It's one of the options up the top there. You can do that for re renewing a subscription, extending your subscription. They fill in all the other details there. And if you haven't already... Uh, taken uh, the opportunity to get the Infobytes, you can tick this box right here and you can get that as well. So um, I'm going to give you an opportunity to talk um, amongst yourselves uh, and to fill in the form uh, while I have a bit of a drink and before I just close off. And uh, Pastor Lionel, do you want to have a Q&A? Have some questions? Okay. So have a think about questions you might like to ask, but I'll just give you a minute 
one minute to actually uh, do that while I have a bit of a break. See Geraldine up the back there afterwards and uh, get your free DVDs uh, when you pay for the magazine. So there's also on the tables up the back here some free material. Not sure where they are. Somewhere there. Might be in the foyer. Uh, one here, uh, 15 Questions for Evolution. This is great for year 10, year 11, year 12, first year university. Uh, it asks basic questions that they don't have answers to, uh, which are fundamental to the whole evolutionary story. This one, Stones and Bones, great little booklet, uh, very readable, evidence for creation, why evolution doesn't work, also how the gospel works. If you're not a Christian, come and see me, it's free. If you're a Christian, you can pay for it. <laughs> Fair enough. I can't afford to give them to everybody. So if you're not a Christian, come and see me, it's free. People wonder about carbon dating and oftentimes you get people say things like, oh, carbon dating proves things are millions of years old. Any, anybody heard that said? <coughs> Do you know that when somebody says that, they don't know anything about the subject? So you're very safe to confront them about it. You know why? So carbon dating, carbon-14 is used for radioactive dating, but the fundamental problem is you can only measure the carbon in the present. So you have to imagine the past. So they imagine the past based on assumptions about the present. But here's the thing. Carbon-14 breaks down so quickly that something which was 50,000 years or at the most 90,000 years old could have no measurable carbon-14. <clears throat> so anything older than 50,000 years should have no carbon-14. It breaks down so quickly. Here's a problem for the evolutionists. The big problem is just about everything has carbon-14, even things that are billions of years old. Right? So coal, for example, ranges in age, according to evolutionary dating in the millions of years idea, ranges in age for about 10 million years. Stuff here in Victoria, your lawn, which was living in the ground. can't believe it's so stupid as to do that. But anyway... Um, but they're leaving the coal in the ground. That's 10 million years old, approximately. But stuff elsewhere, like a Queensland, sort of, uh, you know, 40, 50 million years old. And stuff in Europe and North America is supposed to be hundreds of millions of years, 300 million years old. That sort of stuff. That's the sort of ages they put on it, right? Do you know what? You take coal from that whole range of ages, and it all has the same amount of carbon-14 in it. And you know why? Because it was all buried during Noah's flood. 
<coughs> dinosaur bones have carbon-14 in them. They shouldn't have. They're supposed to be at least 65 million years old. They could have no carbon-14 present. They've all got carbon-14. You can do it with your calculator. In fact, you can do it in your mobile phone if you like. So is that what you're saying? Has that been tested? Well, you can measure in the present. You can measure the breakdown, the, the rate at which carbon-14 breaks down, and it breaks down at the rate of... Oh, and then you... Yeah. yeah okay. So 5,730 years, half it disappears. Okay. So assuming we have the same constant rate of decay, every 5,730 years, half it disappears. Well, it, it, it has to get to a point where it all disappears because you can't halve an atom. So you're thinking about the mathematics of it. So there's an exponential decay, but it has to get to a point where there's one atom left and then it disappears. So there's nothing left. So the, the exponential decay equation breaks down at that point. <laughs> you can't halve an atom. So, um, yeah, so... Using all the same assumptions they use for all the radioactive dating techniques, which is we measure the rate of decay now and we extrapolate back into the past, the carbon-14 is a huge problem for their millions of years story. Huge problem. So someone says carbon dating proves millions of years, you say, sorry, but it actually disproves millions of years if it does anything. There's a whole chapter in the Answers book about that and the Answers book has answers to over 65 questions that people ask about these things. And uh, if you read the answers book, you'll have answers to just about any question people put to you about all this stuff. <coughs> so there's a children's uh, magazine called Six Days, and it's very colourful. It's only $6, $6.50. Um, and it's really great things for young people. So that's one out the back. Um, going into more detail, Evolution's Achilles Heels documentary is uh, 15 PhD scientists involved in the production of this. An hour and a half, there's eight chapters, there's a study guide to go with it. I don't recommend watching the whole lot in one go, you can do that, but it's a lot to take in. But if you do one chapter at a time, do the study guide, you'll take it in much better. So there's a book to go with it, there's lots more detail in the book, but that's sort of year 10, year 11, year 12, university type level. So there's great, great response uh, testimonies there from various people about it. There's, there's children's materials like the book uh, Exploring Dinosaurs, Mr. Hib teaches adults too, wonderful stuff. Uh, Genesis Account by Dr. Jonathan Safady, 800-page uh, commentary on the first 11 chapters of Genesis and more. It goes into everything. It's amazing. Uh, Genesis, uh, Defending Genesis, 40 years of mag Creation Magazine, the best of 40 years of Creation Magazine in a hardback book, only $20. Amazing value, that is. Uh, very colourful. And there's a whole set of DVDs. You can do your own seminar. You know, we just had a touch upon a few things tonight, but uh, there's eight sessions there, and that's a tremendous value. Uh, just finishing off, just to round it up, to, to wrap it up and just bring it back to the really important thing, and that is the Gospel. The good news of salvation depends on the bad news of the origin of sin and death in Genesis. And what I'm saying tonight is the events in Genesis actually really happened and that's why Jesus died on the cross. That's why there's a gospel. That's why there's good news because there's bad news. And the New Testament talks about this over and over again. Romans 8, 
For we know the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. God didn't create it groaning and suffering. It became that way because of sin. The verse before that says, the creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption. And so we look forward to a time in the future when there will be new heavens and new earth, when there will be no more death and suffering. See, there's, there's, there's beauty still in God's world today, but there's also a lot of bad stuff. And that's because of sin. That's because of the fall in Genesis chapter 3. And so the big picture here is a perfect world in the beginning. No death, no suffering at the hand of God. Very good. But it became corrupted through sin. And Jesus is paying the price for that sin or paid the price for that sin on the cross. Raised from the dead, having conquered death, having paid the price and will restore through his redemptive work the whole of creation in the future. There'll be a new heavens and new earth. And I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that. As you get older, you look forward to it more. Thank you for listening to this message. You're welcome to duplicate this message in its entirety for non-profit purposes. For more information and resources, visit cgc.org.au.